29 years ago today, I made the second best decision in my life. That was to marry Stephanie Fast. Happy anniversary, Stephanie. Uh, Thanks for putting up with me for 29 years and listening to all my boring sermons. (laughs) Last week, I mentioned that if you love God's Word, you, uh, you really have to love prophecy. And the millennial age is another uh, piece uh, of what prophecy tells us about. It's a prophetic reality. So uh, take your Bibles out. We are going to be uh, looking at a number of texts this morning. Uh, we do have an outline that's coming out um, so that those of you who can take, want to take notes uh, be able to take notes uh, this morning. <clears throat> We'll read these three passages. These are our foundational passages for our studies. They help us understand the reality, the duration, and timing of the millennium. So we'll start at 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15. First Corinthians 15. Starting in verse 20. I'm reading out of the ESV. That should be in the back of your pew Bible if you need to, uh, if you'd like to follow exactly along. 1 Corinthians 15, 20 through 28. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by man come, uh, came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all shall be made alive, but each in his own order. Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end, when he delivers the kingdom of God to the Father, after destroying every rule and every authority and every power. For he must reign until he puts all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be be destroyed is death. For God puts all things in subjection under his feet. But when it says all things are put under subjection, it is plain that he is expected to put all things in subjection under him. When all things are subject to him, then the Son himself will also be subject to him who put all things in subjection under him, that God may be all in all. It's 1 Corinthians 15. Turn now to Revelation 19. I think you'll see a pattern here as we go through this. 19, 17 through 21 reads this way. Revelation 19, 17 through 21. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun, and with a loud voice he called to all the birds to fly direct, flying directly overhead, come gather for the great supper of God, to eat the flesh of the kings and the flesh of the captains and the flesh of the mighty men, the flesh of the hoarders, horses and their riders and the flesh of all men, both free and slave, both small and great. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered to make war against him and sitting on the throne, on the horse and against his army. And the beast was captured. And with it, the false prophet, who in its presence had done the signs by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast, those who worshipped its image, those too were thrown alive in the lake of fire and burnt, that burns with sulfur. 
And the rest were slain by the sword that came from the mouth of him who was sitting on the horse, and all the birds were gorged with their flesh. Let's keep reading in verse 1 of chapter 20 in Revelation. Then, so you see the sequence, Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding in his hand the key to the bottomless pit, and a great chain... And he seized the dragon, the ancient serpent, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years, and threw him into the pit, and shut it, and, and sealed over it, it over him, so that, the, that he might not deceive the nations uh, any longer, until a thousand years were ended. After that, he must be released for a little while. Then I saw thrones... And seated on them were those who, whom the authority to judge was committed. Also I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the testimony of, of Jesus and for the word of God, and those who had worshipped, not worshipped the beast or its image, and had not received the mark on their foreheads or their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years, or reigned with Christ for a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until until the thousand years were ended. <clears throat> this is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection, for over such second death has power. But they will be priests of God and of Christ, and they will reign with him for a thousand years. So we see a number of things going here in a, as we overview this. The first Corinthians uh, passage and Revelation 19 and Revelation 20. We see the second advent or the second coming of our Lord Jesus that happens before the millennium. Well, did you see the sequence there? We'll talk more about that. Notice in Revelation 20, 1 through 6, you notice that passage, in this passage, a thousand years is, is uh, said how many times? Six times. Six times. This is where we understand the thousand-year reign of Christ on earth. The term comes from the word chilioi, chilioi, which means a th- 1,000. So the entire Old Testament expectation is involved with this earthly kingdom, this thousand-year earthly kingdom. It's Israel's glory with the promised Messiah seated on David's throne. So that is, as we work through the outline, that gives you the, the, uh, the overall understanding. Let's work now um, to look at the views. So this is going to be more teaching than preaching today, so I hope you have your, your pens and papers and your thinking caps on, because this is going to be fun. So we want to look at the views of the millennium, and then we will work through uh, uh, where we are as a church. There are essentially three views related to the second coming of the millennium. They are as follows. There's a post-millennial view. A post-millennial view uh, is it's a predominantly post-reformation view, which posits that through the preaching of the gospel, the world be, will become Christianized and brought into submission to the gospel before the return of Christ. Followers of this view believe uh, in do believe in the literal millennium and the literal second coming or second advent, but they are unsure of who institutes the millennium and the timing of Christ's coming in relation to the millennium. Um, so this is this is one as S. Lewis Johnson uh, likes to talk about this one. He basically says that this view puts too much power into men's hand. 
man's ability to communicate the gospel. It's too man-centric of a view, and I agree with that. So that's the post-millennial view. Again, these are summaries, and I encourage you to continue in your studies in this. A couple of books, you can uh, read uh, Dwight Pentecost's Thing to Come. Walvard has a really great book on the millenniums. Uh, so please, there's, there's much more, but I didn't have time to go into all of that. So next is the amillennial view. So yeah, the post-millennial view, the amillennial view. This holds that there will be no literal millennium on the earth following the second advent. They hold that all the prophecies concerning the kingdom are being fulfilled in this what's called inter-advent time, spiritually through the church. So the Amillennialist does not believe in the literal uh, kingdom. They believe they're being those promises are being filled through the church. This is a spiritualized, non-literal view, which is common in modern thinking of the Lord's return, which is characterized by the perpetual advance of Christ in the church, and there is confusion as to whether or not there will be an actual second coming or not. Related to this, Dr. Lewis Perry Chafer says this, The characteristic idea for this view is the denial of the literal reign of Christ on earth, which leads to this system's main controversy. Literal millennium now being fulfilled in the church, either on earth or in heaven. So the one way to think about this uh, also, this this particular view, is to see that uh, in the amillennial view, they will apply the scriptures that are afforded to Israel to the church. So they don't place a distinction between the Israel and church. The premillennial view, which is our view as a church and my view personally, is summarized uh, by Dr. Dwight Pentecost. Summarized this way, it's the perspective that holds that Christ will return to the earth literally, bodily, before the millennial age begins, and that by his presence, a kingdom will be instituted over which he will reign. In this literal kingdom, all the promises to Israel will be fulfilled. That is, for a thousand years is affirmed, and at the end of the age, the kingdom will then be handed off by the Son to the Father, and, when, and then it will merge with the eternal kingdom. The key for this system is whether or not the scriptures are to be understood literally or symbolically. So if you're looking at your outline, there's your overview or the views of the, the uh, different views of the millennium. We're focusing on the premillennial uh, view. And it's important now to, to talk a little bit about the method of biblical interpretation that we use. It's a key point, and Dr. Pentecost points it out, and he puts it this way, and I quote, It's not too much to say that the issues dividing these views can be solved only by setting the question concerning, settling the question concerning the method of interpretation to be employed. Meaning, the Bible, the Old Testament, New Testament, is to be plainly understood. That is our goal. I use the word plainly on purpose. And I agree with this, this term. Um, I, like, uh, I like it. S. Lewis Johnson affirms this. Uh, we use this term plain instead of the word literal interpretation. We, we mean when we say plain, we mean common sense meaning of terms. Okay? The literal, if you use the term literal, our, our great friends who are all millennials will use that as a red flag in their system. They'll say, well, there's figures of speech and there's symbols and apocalyptic. We say, of course. Yes, there are figures of speech. Yes, there are narrative um, um, and poetic uses of Scripture. 
Um, we're not going to take a figure of speech and, 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 and um, use it in a different way. So we're not suggesting that, there are, that we take every word of the Bible literally, literally. Rather, we follow the plain sense of Scripture. When we reach a term that's figuratively, we will interpret it according to the principles of those terms. As such, when we encounter apocalyptic passages, poetic, and so on and so forth. So our goal in understanding these truths, the end time truths, especially as it relates to the millennial kingdom, is to, to interpret the scripture plainly in the use of uh, prophecy. Which means we avoid spiritualizing and allegorizing certain passages. So that's a key. So here's the hermeneutical principle that uh, I'm postulating as we we work through the normal and plain understanding of Scripture. Normally, plain sense, even behind figures of speech, there must be facts or plain truths to communicate what would happen. If we don't have plain words to communicate what we're saying, we can't communicate anything. So that's what we mean by plain. If, if a word means something, we will plainly interpret it that way. I love this axiom that Dr. Lewis, uh, S. Lewis Johnson puts it. He says it this way. I'm going to paraphrase it because like, it's, it's great. But if the plain sense of scripture, scriptural passage makes sense, seek no other sense, but take each word, every word, at its primary, normal, plain, usual, ordinary meeting, unless the facts of the content text studied in light of other passages and related axiomatic truths indicate clearly otherwise. Did that go right over your head? Does it make sense? I'll say it again. (laughs) If the plain sense of Scripture passage makes sense, seek no other sense, but take each and every word at its primary, normal, plain, usual meaning, unless the facts of the contents studied in light of other passages and related axiomatic truths indicate clearly otherwise. So we're just going to take it plainly, all right? So all that, so you can take all those notes, right? So that's what we're going to do. Plain, normal interpretation of Scripture is our aim. <clears throat> now, um, our friends who are in the all-millennial camp do not affirm this plain sense of interpretation as we do. And so they will spiritualize certain passages. So that's one way that you can compare uh, this system, the premillennial system, to others. So now that we know the systems and we understand the hermeneutical aim, let's look at some survey. Let's look at, at survey of, of key uh, scriptures that support the millennial kingdom, uh, the premill uh, millennial kingdom. So turn in your Bibles to uh, the first Old Testament passage, in Isaiah chapter 11. Isaiah chapter 11. So we want to look at some of these key passages that tell us what we're looking at in the pre-millennial kingdom. Isaiah chapter 11. Isaiah chapter 11. Uh, 1 through 16. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from its root shall bear fruit, and the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge, and the fear of the Lord, and his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. 
He shall not judge by what he sees or decide disputes by what ears hear, but with the righteousness that he it is but with righteousness he will judge uh, the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked one. The wicked one. This is first, second Thessalonians. Paul uses this passage to make the point of, of uh, Christ killing the, the wicked one, wicked one. Second Thessalonians 2 uses this passage. Verse 5. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness the belt of his loins. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb. The leopard shall lie down with the goat. The calf and the lion and the fatted calf together. And the little child shall lead them and the cow and the bear shall gaze on them. The only way we're going to see a lion and a kid playing together is if the kid's inside the lion right now. Right? This is just describing the millennial kingdom. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play in the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den, and they shall not hurt or destroy in my holy mountain. For the earth shall be full of the, of the knowledge of the Lord as the water covers the sea. In that day the root of Jesse shall stand as a signal for the peoples of him who shall, uh, who shall the nations inquire is the resting place and his resting place shall be glory. Verse 11. In that day the Lord will extend his hand and yet a second time to recover the remnant, <clears throat> the remains of his people from Assyria, from Egypt, from Pathros, from Cush, from Elam, from Shinar, from Hamath, and from the coast of the sea. You see the Lord bringing all of his people to this place. And he raised, and he will raise a signal for the nations and will assemble and the ban, the banished of Israel and gather the dispersed of Judah and from the four corners of the earth. The, uh, the jealousy of Ephraim shall depart, and those who harass Judah shall be cut off. Ephraim shall not be jealous of Judah, and Judah shall not harass Eph- Ephraim. Uh, but they shall swoop down on the shoulders of the Pal- uh, Palestines in the west, together with all the plunder of the people of the east, shall put out their hands against Edom and Moab, <clears throat> and the Ammonites shall obey them, and the Lord will uh, utterly destroy the tongue of the sea. So you get the picture. This is the picture of what God is doing. <clears throat> it affirms an, an on-the-earth coming of Christ following His second coming. This is um, Christ, the Messiah. His first coming, His second coming, He destroys Satan, institutes the new kingdom, and it will cover the entire earth. He will gather His people to this place. This is, as we say and as we pray, this is the divine answer to Thy kingdom come. And we pray that. This is the answer to this. So that's Isaiah. Micah 5, 2 through 5. Micah, turn to Micah 2. Not Micah 5. Micah chapter 5. <clears throat> Obadiah, Jonah, Micah. Small prophetic book. Micah 5. 2 through 5. Another Old Testament key verse. Micah 5. But you, O Bethlehem, Epiphrath, you are too little to be among the clans of Judah. From you shall come forth for me one who is who is to be the ruler in Israel whose coming forth is from of old, from of ancient of days. Therefore he shall give them up until the time and sh- uh, when she who is in labor is given birth, 
and the rest of the brothers shall return to the people of Israel, and she and he shall stand and and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord is uh, is God. They shall dwell secure for now, and he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. He shall be their peace. Who comes from Bethlehem? It's mentioned in Matthew 2, 6. It's mentioned in John seven forty two. Who's born in Bethlehem? Jesus. Jesus. We know this to be true. This is the first part of the prophecy. If Jesus is affirmed in the New Testament, and we know he was born in Bethlehem, we can understand that that prophecy is fulfilled literally, right? When we come to the next one, what, what reason do we have to not believe that the other parts of his prophecy will be literally fulfilled? See what's happening here? You can't say there's a passage in here and the prophesies that Jesus will come to Bethlehem and we affirm it and then say he can't come in the other way. This is not a, biblical, a good biblical hermeneutic. He will come. In Israel, you can visit the Bellis Bascula of, of uh, Bethlehem. You can, you can actually go down and take a picture of where they think Jesus was born. We've been there. It's kind of a gaudy place. But he was born in Bethlehem. Scripture affirms that. Zechariah 9.9. Zechariah 9.9. So we saw Isaiah, we saw Micah. Again, these are just some key passages. There's many, many more that you can find uh, that, that, that attest to uh, the literal millennial kingdom. Zechariah 9, 9. Just a little further to the right. <clears throat> Zechariah 9, 9. You'll see the sequence here. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion, Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem, behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation as he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the fowl of a donkey. Does that sound like something familiar that happened? Yeah, Jesus came riding a donkey. Um, I will cut off the chariot of Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem, and the uh, battle bows shall be cut off, and and he shall speak peace to the nations. His rule shall be from sea to sea and from the rivers and to the earth. That's the second coming, second kingdom. So we see those Old Testament passages that affirm the literal view of the millennium. Let's look at some New Testament passages. Let's look at Matthew 24 and Matthew 25. Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24. And we'll start in verse 29 to 31, and we'll go to Matthew 25, 31 through 34. So Matthew 24, so now we're in the New Testament testimony of the plain understanding of the second advent Advent, and the premillennial view of, of the view. Okay, Matthew 24, 29 and 31. Now, this is after Jesus is responding, um, and this is part of what's called the commonly known as the Olivet Discourse. Jesus is responding to the question of his disciples, tell us when these things will be, and we will, and what will be the sign of your coming to those, of those to the age? And Jesus says, 
Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will fall from the heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then will appear, uh, will appear in heaven a sign uh, of the Son of Man and he, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory and he will, he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet uh, call and they will gather his elect from the four winds and from one end of the heaven to the other. Now we move to Matthew 25. This is coupled with Matthew 25:31. Matthew 25:31 <clears throat> through 34. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as the shepherd separates sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats will go to the left. Then the king will say to those at his right, Come, you you who are blessed by my father and inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. This is the kingdom that is mentioned that we should be looking for in Acts 1-7. We should be expecting this kingdom. This is also the kingdom that we see that uh, God has not forgotten Israel. Romans 11-1 reminds us that, God, that Paul reminds us that, that the Lord has not forsaken his people. He has not forsaken his people. So those are your, your summary passage of, of the plainly understood prophecies from the Old Testament and the New Testament that affirm the, the timing and the literal fulfillment of, the, of, the, of Christ's kingdom. So now we move to point number four in your outline. And we look at the purpose of the millennium and then what is it? The purpose of the millennium and what is it? So when we look at the millennial kingdom, we want to know what's it for? The purpose of the millennial kingdom is to see all of God's promises to the nation of Israel and thus to the world completely and fully realized. The millennium will be that place where God's promises to his covenant people, Israel, will be completely fully realized. So it's going to be the direct administration and government and divine government on earth for 1,000 years by our Lord and overseen as uh, with the saints. Okay, So it's the direct divine government on the earth for 1,000 years. Its center is in Jerusalem. Christ and his saints will rule in heavenly resurrected bodies at this time. This is very exciting for us. This is very exciting. So that's the purpose and what the millennium is. Let's go to number five. We look at number five. Who's there and what's the relationship of the living and resurrected saints? Who, who's going to be there? Um, so briefly want to go through this. We can deduce from Scripture that the church will reign as a bride with Christ. The church will reign as a bride with Christ. The Old Testament saints will be resurrected and rewarded at this age. So you have the church reigning as the bride of Christ. Our dwelling will be in the new heavenly Jerusalem, but we will have access to and reign with Christ. The Old Testament saints, which are to be resurrected and rewarded, will happen at this age. You will have saved Jews from the tribulation that are found righteous at judgment. 
they will be in the millennium. And you will also have saved Gentiles that are declared uh, at judgment at the set, declared at judgment at the second coming. So you'll have saved Jews, saved Gentiles, and there will also be <clears throat> the unfallen angels. The unfallen angels will be a part of this kingdom. So Old Testament saints resurrected, Hebrews eleven six and ten. That's your passage for Old Testament saints resurrected. Church saints resurrected, translated. We talked about the rapture last week. The church saints resurrected and translation translated. Hebrews twelve, uh, twenty two through twenty four. And Galatians 4.26 is the passage if you want that for those. And then living saints among the Jews and Gentiles who are brought into the millennium who survived the tribulation. That's how the millennial kingdom will be, uh, will be populated. So those will be the people who will be in the millennium. Moving to six in your outline. So what is Christ's relationship to uh, the millennium. What is Christ's relationship to the millennium? This is amazing. Christ, in His glory, will be fully manifested and will be seen in all His glory at this time. Christ, in all His glory, will be manifested at this time. His deity, His humanity, His government, His, his judicial aspect and his throne his kingship will be found at this time first samuel 7 12 through 16 and isaiah 9 6 through 7 his deity his his humanity his dominion his government his judicial office and his throne all of those things he, you will see his nature his omniscience will be recognized his omniscience will be fully recognized on earth isaiah 66:15 his omniscience. His omniscience will be seen throughout the millennium. Isaiah 41, uh, 10 and Psalm 41, 1 through 5. He will receive worship during this time. Again, Christ in all his glory. You'll see him fulfill many of the titles that he was given in the Old Testament uh, and throughout. The son of Abraham. This is related to the land promise. Our brother Mike will talk to us about the covenants, the Abrahamic covenant, the Davidic covenant in a couple weeks. But the son of Abraham, he will, he will be, he will have this land who is, who has been promised to Israel. The son of David, this is the, this is, he is the rightful heir of the throne of David. Uh, scripture tells us in Luke 1, 32 and Isaiah 9, 7. He's the, the son of David, the son of man. He will be ruling in that title, the Son of Man. This allows him to execute judgment throughout the millennial kingdom. That comes from John five twenty seven and Acts one eleven. And he will we will see him in that title the Son of God. That's that helps us understand the tabernacle of God will be with men. That's Isaiah nine six, Psalm one thirty four three. The tabernacle of God will be with with men. So that's Christ's relationship to the millennium. Christ in all His glory will be seen, and we will be reigning with Him. Point number seven. What's the spiritual character of the millennium? So we have Christ's relationship to the millennium. What's it going to be like spiritually in the millennium? It's helpful for us to understand this. Um, I've put five down here that are very important for us to know. The spiritual character of the millennium. It will be characterized firstly by righteousness. By righteousness. 
righteousness. This again is a physical, literal kingdom. The righteousness of Christ will, this is the spiritual character of the millennium. Matthew 25, 37. So righteousness will be characterized. Obedience by those who are there. That will be the spiritual character of the millennium. Genesis 2, 16 through 17 and Hebrews 10, 9. We will live in obedience. Holiness will be the spiritual character of the millennium. Psalm 98, 1 and Isaiah 52, 10. Truth will be a uh, character. The millennium will be characterized by truth. We will see truth. He is truth. Zechariah 8, 8. And the fullness of the Holy Spirit will be the characterized in the millennial kingdom. Uh, this is the passage you're probably very familiar with, Joel 2, 28 and 29. The fullness of the Spirit will be given. We don't see the fullness like Joel talks about until the millennium. We'll put my Holy Spirit into everyone. So those are the spiritual characteristics of the millennium. Christ's relationship to the millennium is seen in all his glory, and then you see the spiritual character of the millennium. What, um, what will it be like? What will be the conditions of the millennium? And um, I will spare you, as I mentioned last week, Walbert had 50 reasons for the pre-tribulational rapture. I only gave you a couple of those. Pentecost lists 23 uh, conditions of the millennium. I will summarize it here in six. How's that? Six conditions that we will see in the millennium. Now, here's an interesting note that you need to take as we have seen. What we just read in Revelation 20, 1 through 3, Satan will be removed from the picture. Okay? So all outward sources of temptation are to be removed so that man can demonstrate what he is apart from satanic influence. Okay? Men will still be born with sin natures, but you won't have the sin, the influence of Satan during the millennial. Satan has been removed. Revelation 20, 1 through 3. So keep that in mind. So that'll be part of the conditions still be earthly, physical, but we won't have, those who live in that time, won't have the influence of Satan. Remember, he's bound. So, condition number one, which comes with several terms, this will be a time of peace and comfort and protection. This is, again, this is literal. We're not... As in our our system of premillennial, that it's truly and it's real, we aren't experiencing comfort and peace. Um, if you look at the way things are going in this world, things are not getting better. But in the millennium, peace, comfort, and protection will be a condition. Um, again, holiness will be a condition. The removal of the curse, Isaiah one. 26 through 27. So there will be peace and comfort and protection. There will be holiness is what it will be like. Full knowledge of His kingdom. Full knowledge of who Christ is in His kingdom. And a lack of immaturity will be, will be a condition. The scripture tells us. Habakkuk 2.14 and Isaiah 65.20. So we'll, there will be full knowledge of His kingdom and a lack of immaturity. At the inception of the millennium, as far as I understand it, there will be healing. Christ will heal the lame and those uh, who are coming in to the millennium. So there will be healing will be a condition of the millennium. Fifthly, 
There will be wondrous labor and economic prosperity. Wondrous labor and economic prosperity. Again, we are created for work. We're created to serve the Lord. In this millennial kingdom, this will be uh, characterized. The condition will be wondrous labor and economic prosperity. Jeremiah 31, 5 tells us that. And Isaiah 62, 8 through 9. So there will be peace and comfort, holiness, full knowledge of his kingdom, healing at the inception, wondrous labor, and economic prosperity. And then finally, uh, number six, is unified communication. The removal of language, the language barrier will, will take place. Zephaniah 3, 9. So it'll be, we'll be able to have incredible, wondrous labor and economic prosperity and peace and comfort because we'll be able to communicate freely. We won't have the language barriers. <clears throat> so those are the conditions. Um, so we see in the passages uh, that we looked at, we see that that prophecy in the premillennial view uh, is to be that that we are to understand the scriptures in a plain, normal uh, sense, so that we understand that the prophecies that have already been f- fulfilled have happened, and the ones that are come will be fulfilled. We've seen that there's a sequence and a timing that. Christ will come back at the second advent, at the end of the tribulation, and at that point is when the millennial kingdom will happen. So that sequence. We see that this is, the, the millennial kingdom is the, the full manifestation of Christ in his glory at that time. We'll see all of his glory and goodness. What an amazing time it will be. And those of us who will be um, either uh, caught up or raised uh, at the rapture, we will be reigning with Christ uh, in the new Jerusalem at this time. And what a wondrous time that will be. So as we think through this, I've, I've, uh, as we're wrapping it up, I've thought of three applicational thoughts for you. Some three applicational thoughts as you l- allow this, uh, this truth to sink in, what, what God is, is doing uh, in the millennium. Firstly, uh, I think it galvanizes God's trustworthiness. It galvanizes God's trustworthiness. God is faithful to his promises to his people. That perspective grounds us and and gives us confidence. He is going to take care of you and you and you. If you have challenges, God is faithful to his word. He is not going to leave his people Israel. He is going to fulfill what he said he was going to do. It galvanizes our trustworthiness of the trustworthiness of God. Second, I think it allows us to see the greatness of our participation with Christ. It's encouraging, right? We're going to be either resurrected or caught up, and we're going to be in the new Jerusalem and the one of the main things that we get to do is to reign with Christ during that thousand-year period. And we're going to see that happen. We're going to see all the events that are going to happen. We're going to see Christ at the end of that. As he puts all enemies under his feet, he's going to turn that kingdom over to become and move into the eternal kingdom. So it's a thousand years, but we'll be able to see him hand that kingdom over to the Lord to to become the eternal kingdom. It's just encouraging. It's great to know that we will participate and we will have a role with him in the millennium. Third, I think it's helpful for us to know that the granularity of the word of God, 
we understand God's word when we when we read it and understand it in its plain, its normal sense. Confusion turns to clarity and gives us confidence and hope in his plan for what is to come. We're galvanized by God in this, his trustworthiness. We can see his greatness in our participation of of uh, with him in this millennial kingdom and his word plainly understood just opens up and it clarifies for us um, and as we close it's really cool that we have someone in our in our congregation that loves to write and so if you want to learn more about the millennial kingdom you can Dorothy has written a great book I'm told The Barrier you could talk to her about her book if you really want to learn some other air things about the millennial kingdom maybe uh, that would be a helpful read uh, and she would enjoy talking to you about that she's done a lot of research so the Lord uh is going to be encouraging us through this message. Let's pray as we conclude. Father, you are you are amazing. Your plans they're true. We can believe them. We trusted we see that you love your people and you have a plan for your people and you love us and you have a plan for us. We see that, that we as, as the church, as the bride of Christ, have an amazing role to play with you in the, the end times. And it is so encouraging. It's so encouraging to know that you will be seen on earth in all your fullness and glory. That is to come. And that gives us great joy and excitement. Thank you, Lord, for the clarity of your uh, plain word, understood. Thank you that we can trust it. Thank you that, we, that you guide us through it. And may we continue to uh, be faithful to apply it to our lives. Uh, in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.